It is summer 2016. Uh, Sydney Blue, uh, a 29-year-old single mom, uh, is living with two kids in Greenwich, just not far from us. Uh, Her partner wants custody of the two children that Sydney is with. Now, we are not entirely sure of all the details, but it seems Sydney has entered in a new relationship which has led her to fall out with one of our best friends. And as we fast forward from summer 2016 to autumn 2016, it seems Sydney's infidelity uh, has resulted in pregnancy. Uh, And then, as bad as that, something unthinkable happens. She even experiences something worse. She experiences a miscarriage. As if that's not bad enough, a few weeks later, Sydney receives a letter. Uh, She receives a letter in the post that says she's going to be kicked out out of her house within two months. Uh, Sydney's world is falling apart just within a short space of months. And these desperate circumstances have left Sydney feeling hopeless. Uh, In fact, in her own words, she says this, I have nothing left to live for. I am struggling with it all. Well, life is full of desperate situations like that. Situations where we are struggling to respond to the challenges of life. We do not know where to turn for help. Well, the people of God living in Israel uh, over 3,000 years ago, the people of God in the days of the judges were in a similar situation. They were living in what we might say desperate times. We saw last week in Judges chapter 10 uh, that God raised up Jair, the judge. That was two weeks ago, in fact. And Jair then died, of course. And when Jair died, Israel turned to idolatry. They completely abandoned God. And then last week we saw what that sin did to them. What did it do? It led them to suffer terribly. And as they were suffering, they were forced to come back to God to repent of their sins. And our sermon last Sunday evening was looking at what true repentance really is. They have come back to God and God has forgiven them. Because verse 16 of chapter 10 tells us that God became impatient with the misery of Israel. So Israel has learned the lesson. But what's amazing is that even though God has forgiven them, things have not improved. In fact, the situation is getting worse. Uh, Verse 17 makes that clear at the beginning, that in fact the situation begins to get worse. So what I want to do this morning, I want us to look at this issue of how do we respond? How do we respond when life gets desperate? Look with me at verse 17 of chapter 10. And your outline should help you here because the first point in our outline, the first truth we learn from this passage is that sometimes we are desperate for answers. Sometimes in life we are desperate for answers. The Ammonites are preparing a new invasion of Israel. Now, they're already occupying the eastern part of Israel, and they've been terrorizing the Israelites for the last 18 years. But what they want to do now is to push 
further and occupy the land all of Israel. Look at verse 17. Then the Ammonites were called to arms, and they encamped in Gilead. We just need to pause there for a minute and consider that it must be very terrifying for the people of Israel to see this large army of the Ammonites planning now to station themselves permanently in Israel. I imagine now someone who has bullied you for 18 years, and then all of a sudden you hear they are planning to buy a house next door to you. I mean, if it's an office bully at work, you'd be like, come on, what do I have to do? I mean, you bully me at work, and now you want to buy a house next door to me? It will send you into panic. And that's how Israel is feeling. So it's not a surprise that they're desperate. Let's continue reading verse 17 of Judges 10. It says this, And the people of Israel came together, and they encamped at Mizpah. And then Judges 10 verse 18 says this, And the people... The leaders of Gilead said one to another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonite? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And the people are so desperate that you notice something here. They have forgotten to actually pray. They have forgotten to ask God for help. Because they are looking at this terrifying army of the Ammonites and they just want an answer. They want anyone just to lead them. They are in a hurry to find a new leader. They want to start fighting back. And all of us have been that situation before. Something bad happens and the last thing we're doing is praying. You know, we, we, we just want to get on with it. We just want to solve the issue. And that's what they are doing. They are looking for someone to volunteer to lead them. But there's a problem. No one wants to lead them. And not, we can picture there, isn't it? They are asking questions. We can picture it. Perhaps someone is asking, why can't Azariah lead us? And then perhaps another person answered, well, he said he had to go and bury his mother. So he's not available. Perhaps someone else asks, what about Jeshua? Can he lead us? Another person answers, no, he's not available. Uh, his, his donkey has also picked up uh, that winter flu that's breaking the NHS. No one wants to step up. And if this vision continues, the Ammonites will crush Israel forever, and this will be the end. So the people here are desperate for answers. Sometimes we are desperate for answers. A family relationship goes sour. You're trying to mend things, but nothing seems to be working. You're desperate. A bad turn in our health leaves us wondering, where is God in all of this? How will I cope in the future with this new situation? We feel desperate. A bad exam result or poor performance at work raises questions over what our future holds for us or how people around us will treat us now that we are not looking as successful as we thought we would be. We are desperate. And we can go on, there are so many examples. The bottom line is that sometimes we are desperate for answers. And you know what? Sometimes when we are desperate for answers, it can lead us to make desperate choices. And that's the second truth we learn in this passage. The first truth is that sometimes we are desperate for answers, 
The second point on your outline is that desperation leads to desperate choices. Desperation leads to desperate choices. Notice there in Judges 10 verse 17 to 18 that no one has yet still stepped up. So the leaders of Gilead are now forced to call the last person they want to turn to. They are forced to call a man called Jephthah. Look at Judges 10 verse 4. We'll skip forward there. Look at verse 4 there. And to verse 5. We'll skip verse 1 to 3. We'll come to that in a moment. Notice what he says. He says this. After a time, that is after asking around for someone to lead them, this happens. The Ammonites made war. They are getting on with it. They made war against Israel. And then verse 5 of chapter 11 tells us, And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. This is a surprise, to say the least. It is a surprise because Jephthah, yes, is a great warrior. But verse 1 to 3, which we'll look at in a moment, will show us that Jephthah is actually a misfit. They have treated him as scum in the past. And they have treated him as scum because Jephthah was born through prostitution. Look at verse 1 of chapter 11. Let's just get a bit of bio reading. We'll come back to this actually next week. But let's look at a bit of a bio on Jephthah. Verse 1 of chapter 11 says this. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was a son of a prostitute. Now, being a prostitute or being a son of a prostitute at this time is a bit like today having your mother as a terrorist. At this time in history, people look down on prostitutes in a way that nowadays people don't really. In some cultures, it's even a badge of honor. But at this time, people look down on prostitution. So everyone looked down on Jephthah, and everyone looked down on his mother. And notice something else. To make matters worse, Jephthah's half-brothers have chased him out of his own home like a stray dog. Without his dad stopping it. Let's continue reading verse 1 of chapter 11. He says this, Now, Gilead was the father of Jephthah. That's not the town. It's just the man who bears and the name Gilead as well. Perhaps an ancestor of the original founder of Gilead. Gilead was the father of Jephthah. And Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his, sons, when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. They drive him out of his own home. Friends, imagine how that must have felt for little Jephthah growing up. The taunts he received as a young boy. Being robbed of his future. The inheritance there is simply saying his future has been robbed from him. The bank accounts now that the dad has, he can't have any of that. He's been left out of the wheel, so to speak. Imagine the rejection Jephthah felt being chased from his own home. Something that many of us, perhaps most of us here, or any of us, none of us really have ever felt. 
Or perhaps you have growing up. But it's that taunting of Jephthah, that rejection he feels. And is it a surprise that after being treated like this, Jephthah turns to organize crime? Look at verse 3. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. In today's language, what that's telling us is Jephthah now is a crime boss. He's got all these bad guys. Look, he's not following a gang. Jephthah runs the gang. You know, sometimes parents say, like to say, you know, my boy, my boy, you know, is being influenced by bad kids. When in reality, he's the one running the show. And Jephthah here, like Abimelech, runs the show. And people have collected around him. He is the underground lord of Tob. Jephthah is an outcast. A despised, rejected man. A warrior criminal. And yet the leaders of Gilead have come to fetch him for help. Look at verse 5 to 6 again. We continue. Verse 5 tells us, And the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, Come and be our leader. Why? That we may fight against the Ammonites. They've gone out to look for this guy they chased away. Can you imagine the expression on Jephthah's face? Just imagine being there. And these guys have come now from your hometown. They chased you out. You know, the elders were never there for him when his father just ignored him and all these people chased him out of the home. And Jephthah is there looking at them. Can you imagine what he's thinking to himself? He must be like, is this a sick joke or something? Now, Jephthah must be quite a dangerous man. I mean, he's running all these gangs. And he's looking at them saying, you guys have got a lot of guts to come here. Oh, that you, the way you've treated me and you are coming here. And look at the seven, how he answers them. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why, or oh why, have you come to me now when you are in distress? Now, if you're one of the leaders of Gilead, how would you respond to that? If you are there, you're probably worried that Jephthah may kill you for the sins of the past. But you're desperate. You need Jephthah because as dangerous as Jephthah may be, you've got the king of the Ammonites marshalling up, ready to just enslave the whole country. You have no answer, though, to the truth. So the only thing you can do is dangle a bigger carrot to Jephthah. Make him an offer he won't refuse. Look at verse 8. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have come to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. First, they simply asked him to come and lead the army to be their commander-in-chief. But they realized, no, this is not going to work. So they said, look, just come, be president, control everything, we'll be your subject, you'll be our head. In fact, we might even say at this point they're really sinning. They've gone back. But they are desperate now. And they want Jephthah now to work for them, to help them, to lead them, to be their king. And this desperation you see they've had has led to a desperate choice. They are only doing this because they're desperate. Sometimes when life gets desperate, we take situations 
into our own hands. You see, as the situation got worse for Sydney Blue, who I started off at the beginning, she started writing strange messages. She, she, she wrote, she said, I've ruined everything for me. I am tarnished for life. She told a friend that she was thinking about ending it all. They thought she was joking. But exactly a year ago, police were called to her home in Greenwich. They came to collect three bodies in the room upstairs. Three, not one. Three. And I'm sharing this tragic story because this story has been in the news this past week. You may have heard it. There's an inquest going on about Warukat in Greenwich. And the detective spoke of the desperation of Sydney Blue. The fact that she never felt heard. And, and how can a society allow such tragedy to happen? So near to us here even. Leading to a loss of a mother and her two children. By God's grace, not every situation in this broken world ends up like that. But let's be honest with ourselves. All too often, all of us in different ways, in different challenges we face, sometimes we end up making desperate choices. Isn't this how people end up in prostitution, isn't it? They are desperate to make a living, and what do they do? They clutch on to something like that. All of us too often make desperate choices. Some of us are trying to escape the difficulties of life by busying ourselves with television, gardening, social media, and we do everything that will situation get difficult just to avoid people. So instead of spending time chatting to someone in the church over coffee, we get away quickly and withdraw to our own world. We are hurting, but we don't want to talk to anyone about it. So we are usually the first people just to board off quickly, even after this service in the morning. Because we are hurting, but we are withdrawing to our own world. You see, desperation leads to desperate choices which are always about looking to ourselves rather than to God and his community, the church. But here is the good news of this passage. And this is the good news of judges. We see judges is full of good news in difficult circumstances. The good news of the passage is that if we belong to God, we are never alone. And this is our final observation. The final observation is that God is with us in our desperation. The first point we saw, sometimes we are desperate for answers. All of us can recognize that in our own lives. And all of us know the second point, that desperation leads us to, de to make desperate choices. But the final point we also know is that God is with us in our desperation. Notice here that the leaders of Gilead have offered, as I said, Jephthah, an upgrade of a lifetime from being an underground lord in Tob. Now he will lead the nation, and Jephthah cannot turn it down. Look at verse 9. And Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. So he agrees, and they shake hands on him. Look at verse 10 to 11. 
And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be witness between us. <laughs> They've remembered God now. The Lord will be witness to, between us if we do not do, do as you say. And verse 11 says, So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. Or Mizpah. And Jephthah has now become their leader. But I don't want you to miss something very important about this passage. The most important thing about this passage is that Jephthah is not just leader. He's now led the people back to God now. He's the one who has brought back God on the agenda. And don't you sense the irony here? The underground thug of talk. He's the one talking about God giving victory. He's the one saying, I'm only going to do it if the Lord is with me. God is amazing, isn't it? Let's read verse 11 again. It says, So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah did what? Spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. God is back in the picture. It seems here, interesting enough, is that Israel, through their desperate choices, have actually found God's man in the most unlikely places. It is God himself who has raised Jephthah. Who made Jephthah judge? Humanly speaking, it's the elders that went to look for him. But who has actually chosen him? It is God. Why? Because verse 16 of chapter 10 tells us. Judges 10, 16. Remember that? So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And then what? And he, God, became impatient over the misery of Israel. The point I'm making is that God has been working through the Ammonites, through the leaders of Gilead, and now through Jephthah to ensure Jephthah accepts now and becomes the eighth judge of Israel. And next we're going to see God empower Jephthah, equip him to defeat the Ammonites. But do you know what's even more amazing? What's amazing is that Jephthah is now judge. And get this, not despite his rejection and suffering, but God has fitted him through rejection and suffering for this role. Jephthah is exactly the man Israel needs at this time. A man who knows how to negotiate because he's been doing it in the underground work at all. A man who knows suffering because he himself has been rejected. You see, had Jephthah been raised in comfort, he would never have become the man he is. His life has prepared him for the difficult job of serving Israel. So yes, from the outside, it looks like the situation is desperate. But the truth is that in an answer we can't see, God has been raising Jephthah, preparing him, working through this desperate situation. And here's the punchline. The most amazing thing about all of this is that this desperate life of Jephthah was prepared before the ages began to point us to Jesus Christ. Why? We always ask of judges, why is Jephthah in the Bible? Because you see, like Jephthah, Jesus came to his own people. Like Jephthah, his people did not welcome him. John chapter 1 verse 11 says that. 
He came to his own and his word did not receive him. Jesus was despised and rejected. Isaiah 53 verse 3 to 5 says this. He was despised and rejected by man. A man of sorrow, acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And yet, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our souls. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And then Isaiah says, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we were healed. The prophet Isaiah is making it clear that the rejection of Jesus, friends, hear this, the very rejection of Jesus is the basis for your acceptance before God. Jesus has been rejected for you. Because of Jesus' rejection, you are now part of God's family. And the amazing truth is that in Jesus, God doesn't just make you his child. No, he does something more. God, as brother Andrew prayed, God lives in us and we live through him. Jesus' story is now our story. You see, when life becomes challenging, we feel powerless. We feel powerless. No matter how long you've been with Jesus, when life becomes challenging, you feel powerless. We start having doubts. We ask quietly, Why are you God when I need you most? And what happens is that if these questions are not addressed, they can become a spiral of unbelief. I mean, I've experienced it myself. You start doubting one thing, next you're doubting the whole thing. But friends, if you're trusting in Jesus, you must answer those doubts by doing what Jephthah does here. Jephthah verse 11 tells us he comes before the Lord. So if you trust in Jesus, come to Jesus now, your very life. Is your marriage struggling? Is your child difficult to manage? Are you facing sickness? Are you lonely? Or are you just feeling tired and weary of it all? Come to Jesus. Take your desperate situation to him. Because you see, Jesus on the cross has carried all your burdens. So you don't need to carry them. Now, handing them over to Jesus, surrendering to Jesus does not mean everything will work out perfect. But it brings peace and renewal. Why carry a burden that you don't have to? Surrender it all to Jesus. When we surrender, it takes our eyes off ourselves, our cheap solutions we look to in life, in this wretched world, and we fix them on Jesus, our great God and Savior. And as you surrender to Jesus, what happens? You begin to experience intimacy with God. Some of you don't have any intimacy with God. You're not delighting in him. Why? Because this desperate situation is keeping you from that. So as you surrender to him, you enter the joy of finished, as Horatius Bonner calls it. The joy of living in the finished work of Christ. Sadly, not everyone here this morning has access to God. 
and can truly do what I'm suggesting. Not everyone here has intimacy with God or even know anything of the joy of surrender. These joys are only for those who have truly come to Jesus. And the truth of the matter is that some of you are not trusting in Jesus. You have not truly surrendered to Jesus. You have no deep, genuine love for Jesus. You are not His. And it is probably the case, as you sit here this morning, you're thinking, why is the pastor going on about this desperate situation? I'm actually all right, thank you very much. And you feel quite contented there. And life is okay for you. You're doing just fine on your own without surrendering to Christ. And tragically, you believe the lack of problems in your life is actually a seal of approval that all is well with you. You're not Sydney blue, you say. My friend, you are on slippery slope. You are in a very dangerous situation. You do not see that God's mercy to you is not approval of your life. Rather, God is beckoning you to surrender. My friends, do not presume the riches of his kindness are meant to be like some sort of approval. No, they are meant to lead you to repentance. Yes, granted, you have no struggles at present. And yes, granted, you see no need to cry to God in surrender. You are doing just fine. But friend, take note seriously. A time is coming when you stand desperate before God. And it may come any moment. One of these days, you stand desperate before God. You will die and have to face God. What will you say to God then? That you thought God was on your side because he gave you a job? That you thought God was on your side because he helped you to parent better? You thought God was on your side because you passed some exam? Friends, God demands that you repent. And the repentance God wants is placing yourself at the mercy of Jesus. Trust in his death for your sins. And the proof that you have repented is that God gives you a new heart that puts God first in everything. No other repentance will do. So come to him now. Plead his mercy. Let Jesus be with you, not just in the desperate situations of today, but forever. Sometimes we are desperate for answers. And our desperation leads us to desperate choices. But the good news of this passage is that if you are in Jesus, because you are truly standing in Jesus, you truly belong to him. And he is with you in that situation. Amen.